0: I'm Noel Holzman, and this is Open Concept from Yahoo Finance. I made this podcast to bring attention to the entrepreneurs and innovators in Canadian business. Every week, at least at the start, I will be sitting down with someone who is leading their industry, pioneering a new product or service, or just making important things happen. Join me as we go from the corner office to an open concept. This week, the difference between growing
1: apples and making applesauce. We're focused on the vaping and on the edible side of things. Hi, my name's David Posner. I'm the chairman of Nutritional High International Inc. Our symbol is E-A-T in Canada and S-P-L-I-F in the U.S.
0: Sometime this fall, if all goes as planned with the legislation in Ottawa, recreational pot will be legal in Canada and will join Uruguay as one of only two countries in the world to decriminalize marijuana. And despite it currently being illegal, Weed is already a $5.7 billion industry in Canada, according to StatsCan, and that number is going to near 6.5 billion in two years, predicts CIBC. So this is big, big business, and understandably a lot of companies want in on the action. Nutritional High is one of those companies. Based in Toronto, Nutritional High has operations in Washington, Oregon, Colorado, and California, all states that have legalized marijuana. Today, when we think about weed, most of us still probably think about a rolled up joint stuffed in the pocket of our jean jacket. Not that I ever did that, but anyway, that's not where most of the money is. Or at least, it's not where the growth will be. When Oregon legalized marijuana in 2012, it was the edible sales that went through the roof. Cannabis infused cookies, gummies, chocolate bars, chewing gum. Stores couldn't keep them in stock. It's no surprise that when sizing up the market, David Posner opted to focus on edibles and vaping, Two sectors that have experienced huge growth. Indeed, the edible side of this business has proven so explosive that the legislation now being examined in Ottawa doesn't even include edibles. The Liberals decided to push that freight train to sometime next year, if and when it comes. Until then, David is busy expanding Nutritional High's footprint in the US while keeping a close eye on legalization efforts underway in Europe and readying operations in Ontario. There's a lot hanging here in the balance for Nutritional High specifically and for the industry as a whole in Canada. I invited David to join us and discuss how he sees this unfolding and what it means for him personally. company's name is nutritional high i understand the high part
1: okay talk to me about the nutritional side talk about the nutritional side so yeah. when we started we had a completely different approach and what we wanted to do was we were not growers so we wanted to be extractors so we we have a we we have a technique of making oil that's a lot different than most people in the marketplace we use a cold ethanol based oil extraction and from there that's the base of all our products and we Right now, we have a variety of different products out. We have products like vape pens. So this isn't yes. – I wouldn't go on the nutritional side. But uh, we've come out with a whole variety of different edibles and that we've brought into the marketplace. So there's chocolates, and we have a whole we, – we have a tremendous amount of SKUs that are coming out into the marketplace right now. And we obviously wanted to have a health and nutritional base because you'll find a lot of people, and especially on the U.S. side in the in the marijuana market, really look at, you know, what they eat and how everything's being, you know, made in general. So, you know, we didn't want to have refined sugars and we wanted to make our products in a very natural state. You know, this is what we believe the market wants today and even more going in the future. We all know legalization's happening. The question really is, is what type of products are going to go forward, both on the edible side and, you know, when it comes to pills and patches and you know, different forms of edibles. And that's what's going to, you know, come out. And we don't know the exact date, but, you know, in the near future, because that's really the way the majority of people in the U.S. side, you know, want to purchase these products now. More than 50% of the products are not the flour itself being smoked. So the flour
0: piece in terms of I guess in smokable form Uh, it will be legal July 1. My understanding is that edibles are going to be, uh, they're scheduled to be legal July 2019. Is that correct?
1: Well, they haven't come out exactly yet. So, So right now it's kind of unknown. And what you'll see is a lot of the larger marijuana companies and the smaller ones are kind of positioning themselves to have a whole variety of different, you know, edible products and, you know, Using alternative methods, you know, than obviously just the smoking. So everybody's kind of positioning themselves, but they don't know exactly how it's going to work. So
0: can you talk about about your own sort of cannabis consumption? Like, how much does it inform your sort of day to day? Of course, it's illegal now, but but from a recreational point, do you see that as being a kind of a, a key component of your life?
1: Uh, truthfully, you know, I, I believe I, I believe it's similar with alcohol and with everything else. I believe, you know. For each person, they have to do, you know, what makes them feel the best. And it's not like I'm, you know, I wouldn't say I'm anti-cannabis in every way. And look, have I tried products? Yes. You know, yes. did I try to university to try? It? Sure. But in general, I'm not a daily smoker. I find there's a time and a place for it where I, I would do it. But like during the day, I can never smoke. I'm so busy. I have so much yes. stuff going on. It just makes me, it makes me tired after a while, of course. you know, so yes. like, If you let me take a nap at 2 30 in the afternoon would i like to smoke sure but that's not how my life works i mean i have two kids i work like a dog you know what i mean so so yeah so for me i'm not a a daily cannabis smoker and it's not a massive part of my life i try it because i want to know what the products are like what's going on in the industry the different you know the different types of products and techniques that they're using And, and i do have a great knowledge of it but yeah, I'm not sitting smoking like ten joints a day. Yeah, yeah, you know?
0: and, and I'm and not, and I'm not uh, certainly trying to put you on the spot here. I, I'm just, no, no, actually, no, no it's, because it, clearly that there's a there's a business opportunity here, and there, and we know for a fact that there is some, some, some obviously very proven medicinal impacts of of marijuana consumption that, uh, you know, pain alleviation and anxiety and all of that and. It's the recreational part that kind of interests me because I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, uh, what the impacts of that will be once it becomes sort of so widely available. And, well, and, and you know, normalized. And there's, cer- there,
1: there's certain things like, you know, some people believe marijuana is going to cure cancer or whatever. Not saying it will or won't. Well, they'll, there will be tests one day and they will actually be able to, you know, say whether it does or not. But I'll give you an example. Almost 20% of people um, have sleep apnea marijuana is an unbelievable way to be able to go to sleep so you know for that 20% of the population is it medicinal I would say it is like there's been times where I've been sick or had the flu or whatever and I haven't like slept for like a couple days I thought I was going out of my mind and imagine if this was your whole life so I think for some people it's a a game changer aside like I guess and and to me that's medicinal whether it goes even deeper you know when it comes to joint pain and stiffness like you know like the big, when you go to when you go now to rehab clinics, the biggest problem they have is oxies. You know, yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. and and so if somebody can get off of, you know, taking oxies, which is a powerful drug that can really, really kill you and has a massive addiction for yeah. them, they can yeah. get out to marijuana, that's a huge medicinal benefit. You yes, know, so absolutely if you just take the big chunks, like the major things aside from even looking at like all the, you know, everybody's different illness and how it affects them. You know, I I think it's a game changer and that's where I'm like very pro marijuana, you know, for people who sit around and smoke all day. I'm not if that's what you like, that's what you like. But that's not why I did it. I want to do it to like a make money, build a brand and change people's lives. Like there was three reasons why I wanted to get in the business. But it's business first, because if I don't run the business properly and our stock doesn't do well and we don't grow, the whole thing's over. So anything else I want to do means nothing going to like we go to lectures all the time we go to conferences all the time we do because i want to learn if there's anything new i want to be the first guy to be able to get on that you know Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how we approached it and you know our whole team is like that like our ceo he's not an avid pot smoker yes Uh, between our whole you know between our whole management team you know in general you know Maybe you could count on—I don't even know how many—but so rarely does anyone smoke. That's not their focus. Where we do have people, you know, within the organization who know everything about it. And let's just say are experts that yes. way. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And so you need that balance. You need that balance. You can't just have a—you can't run one of these larger public companies and just have a, you know twenty guys that are sitting getting high all day. It no. just it just doesn't work.
0: Can you can you talk a little bit about how you look at uh, the medical? side of the business versus the recreational uh do you see it as a sort of a continuum a continuum in terms of the manufacturing of of product uh or is it two separate buckets that's uh, medicinal marijuana and this is recreational
1: it's a great question and and, you know to give an example i guess colorado is a good example so you can walk into a store and they have a medical license and a rec license if you have a medical card you can go to one side of the store. If you go to the recreation, if you don't have a medical card and you're over 21, they put you on the other side of the store. Now the products are really, really similar. The only difference that they have is sometimes on the medical side, they'll allow much stronger dose because some people that are sick, you know, need to have a much stronger dose on the recreational side and our belief in nutritional and how we kind of started the basis of the company was we didn't want to have really strong products. We wanted to microdose products. And this way, if somebody has it, they'll have a good experience every time and they can start and understand the feeling they're going to get. After that, if you want to take two gummies or two pieces of chocolate or three, you can, you know, step it up. But when you get a really strong dose, you have a bad experience and, you know. I don't think it benefits the marketplace. The people It doesn't benefit anyone in any way.
0: So, your uh, are you producing any products for the medicinal market, or are you are you focusing exclusively on no, the we recreational?
1: Will, we, we we no, we will be making for the medicinal markets in certain states. Yes, and the products are very very similar. Yeah. As I said, that um, the really hard problem, and you know what happened, and the reason why we wanted to get into the business at the beginning was. January first, two thousand fourteen, Colorado went recreational. Three days later, all the edibles and extracts were sold out of the, all yes. the stores. Yes. So you're like, okay, there's a there's a demand for this. And as we went through what we saw was most people didn't know how to dose the products. Yes. So I guess it kind of went from, you know, a mon pa sort of arena to now it's going to getting to like a food grade sort of arena where we're like using actually machines that are semi automated that actually not only dose it, but you know, we have little candy machines. You know, we also, and, and the next stage is going to get to a pharmaceutical point. Now, part of the question you asked was scale is I can make the same candy with, let's just say 95% efficiency or 99% efficiency. The difference is the equipment that I'm using and to get at that pharmaceutical level, the equipment's very, very expensive. So if you're doing it for like a large market like California, could you do it? Yes. If you're doing it for a market like Colorado or Oregon, there's no economics to it. So I really believe the pharmaceutical side of this is five to 10 years away.
0: I, I want to ask you about the dosing part because it, it strikes me that there is a, a, a significant public health consideration there uh, around the consumption in that at least, from from my understanding, that it can take up to thirty minutes for uh, somebody to feel the effects of of the chocolate or uh, the edible, um, and, and yet the the effects can last eight hours uh, yeah, longer, depending on people's uh, uh, metabolic rate. So. Is there not a sort of a real r- risk of overdosing when people are consuming edible products?
1: I mean, I, I can say that, and, and this was really why we started the company, was I can say there's been many people out a cookie or brownie or yes. chocolate and have. Yes. I mean, look, people haven't died from an overdose. But it's not a feeling that you would want. It's not a great yes. feeling, and it's not an experience that you're going to want to have again, so you're not going to use the product. So that answer is definitely yes, and that's why I was saying the, the focus is so much on microdosing so allowing people and to make it in really small dosages where people can understand what they're taking and you know kind of go from there where in the past this was not the case so you'll find it's getting more and more like that and so many states like a state like Colorado says you can't have more than 10 milligrams in in a recreational piece per piece where before there was drinks and chocolate bars that had 100 milligrams in a chocolate bar you know, so people didn't know they'd just break off half a chocolate bar, eat it. Yes. And I would say the average person who starts, who's not a regular marijuana user, should start with something in the five to 10 milligram range. Where if you're taking 50, you know, that's 10 to 20 times, you know, yes, like 10 times course. more than you should be taking.
0: And so is this going to be something that's communicated through packaging? Do you anticipate?
1: It, it is. It's, it's through packaging, it's through testing. So a lot of it is the third party testing, both in the US, the growing side of it and the extraction side and the finished products. Go out for testing, so people know exactly what's in it. Right now, we're just kind of we've received the license. We just really want to know what's going to be allowed and what's not, because that really determines what machines we're going to put in. Is it
0: in the U.S. Is it state by state now in terms of the regulatory environment? Uh, uh, that okay, California allows edibles, or Colorado allows sure. edibles, but but New Mexico is sort of further back? Is that, or to use that as an example? So for
1: example, certain states like New Mexico is a medical state. They do allow edibles. Uh, Colorado allows edibles. The majority of the states that are right now, there's about 25 states that are at least medical. Okay. And then there's eight that are recreational. So a a total of 25, Um, they all have different rules and laws. And the way it works in the, in the U S side is you have to produce in the state and sell within the state. So what we make in California stays in California. So we sell to you know, all the different dispensaries in California. What we make in Oregon, what's going to be made there is going to stay in Oregon. So, you're, so
0: those production facilities that you have in, say, Colorado, ha- have to exclusively service the Colorado market? Solely. Is that a, um, is this a transitional piece, do you think? I mean, I can see on one hand it, 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 it's great for sort of promoting the local economy, but it, it, it creates challenges in terms of a company seeking to have scale.
1: Um, yes or no. I mean, in California, I mean, California's huge. market is, is. Yes. almost as big as the whole medical and yes. recreational marijuana market in the U.S. as of right now. I'm not yes. saying it will be that big. So in California, it's not a scale problem. But in some of these smaller states, it is a scale problem. But what it allows you to do is, you know, hire people within the state. Obviously, there's that job component of it. Yes. And, you know, as it goes forward, like, there's a belief and you'll see now a lot of the Canadian companies, a lot of the US marijuana companies are coming to Canada and want to trade in Canada. Yes. The reason is, is obviously there's a lot of capital that's been, there's a lot of capital around in Canada. People have made a lot of money on marijuana stocks and people really believe in the US. The US is already a predetermined market. So to give you an example, if we're producing in Oregon or Nevada, we manufacture it. We then sell it to the dispensary. So I know if I make a product for $5, we sell it for 10 and the dispensary is selling it for 20 We really understand our profit margins. And what happened is marijuana itself, like the flower part, has become commoditized in many states. So there's different prices in different states. But, for example, in Colorado, a pound of marijuana was selling three years ago for about 2800 a pound. Now it's probably about eleven twelve hundred 1200 a pound, where the edibles and the pills and the drinks and all the extracts prices are really stabilized and have always been around the same, more or less. I mean you'll find sometimes you'll have a dispensary that will sell for a lot more. And just to give the analogy of, you know, being in Toronto, if you have a dispensary in Yorkville in a nice place, they're gonna sell the same chocolate bar for more than they would in, you know, a small little place that they're not paying, not in a high rent district. So kind of the next front I see is Europe. Yeah. So Germany just legalized there's eighty six million people there for medical um, Greece has just said they're legalizing, but they haven't come out with the rules. Um, Macedonia has, uh, has medical marijuana. Switzerland has a CBD form of medical marijuana. Portugal just gave out the first license. So it's just opening up in Europe. And to be able to sell through the EU, there's a, logistically, it's a lot simpler than selling across Canada and just way more people. So that's our focus. So it's not like we're not against Canada. We're Canadian. We yes. love it. We want to you know, do good business here. But it, it's a very small market. In comparison to the U.S., Europe, and where the next stage of it—I mean, there's some countries in Central and South America, like Colombia, is legalized. They've given out a whole variety of licenses. Uruguay has, but I really believe the next massive wave of, you know, I guess customer base is going to be in the Far East. So we want to kind of position ourselves in the U.S. We got our practice and kind of created our brands and did everything. We're bringing it to Canada, to Europe, and then to the Far East. So that's kind of our pathway of. Which we'd like. I mean, we'll see how everything legalizes over time and, you know, the exact timelines, but that's our general path.
0: Coming up, what is life going to look like in the office or at school when getting high isn't about smoking a joint in the parking lot, but instead eating a couple of gummy bears sitting at your desk? In Canada, when whether it's 2019, presumably is a sometime in 2019, edibles will mm-hmm. be will be legal. Uh, they will just be available through government stores, correct? Correct. There's no online ordering.
1: Well, um, well, the way it works now with the just on the flower side. Okay. You can on the medicinal side before you you can only order online. So you're you're working with one of the licensed producers, and you go on their website, order online, and they uh, they mail it to you Canada Post. With the edibles, I believe will be the same for medicinal, and I think on the recreational side it will work through, you know, our version, you know, how we're working through the LCBO or yes. the, the new weed stores, you know. So I think it will be sold in the weed stores, but I, I do believe there'll be on the medicinal side that mail order type component too. But it's all going to be through licensed producers. It's not like just some random guy is going to have a website which. I'm sure they do. You can order cookies and stuff. No, we come from the one of the licensed producers. And that's why I think a lot of these products, you know, the licensed producers here don't have the experience in it. They're looking out to people in the States and people in different countries who have been making these edibles to partner up with them because there's a learning curve to this. You know, like it took us three years to, you know, get the proficiency that we have. And that's why, you know, we have a lot of interest in us right now, you know, and the licensed producers are going to have a huge learning curve and they're going to partner with some of the bigger edible companies in the States and kind of do a partnership because they'll have a product that works rather than the trial and error of it all. Is
0: there sort of a, do you, uh, there's obviously a chemistry component, a taste, Uh, in terms of edibles, is there sort of a finite supply of edibles in terms of, of course there's chocolates, there's gummy bears? I don't know if there's gum.
1: There's gum. There's there's, yeah. there's so many products. Okay. And, like, we have, like, just a massive amount of SKUs. Like, our CEO, like, I'm the chairman of the yeah. Our CEO um, came on about two years ago, and I was the CEO. And for me, like, I don't know how to make chocolates. You yes. know I don't yeah. know how to make gummies. So he, he'd been doing it for about 25 years. So he understood you know, the actual manufacturing of these products. Then our extractor had worked on the infusion side of it. So there's almost two components to yes. actually making this. You know, like you really have to understand the equipment, the manufacturing, and what our CEO, I'd say his biggest skill set that he has is he he knows how to enrobe. So enrobe is he actually knows how to like dip products with chocolate and okay. a whole variety of, of different things and keep the consistency of it. And enrobing I think is going to be like the next evolution of, I guess the basic chocolate gummy type of edibles, you know, and there's so many, they've, I mean, they have granola bars, they have pills, they have patches, they have creams, they have, like drinks. I mean, there's such a huge variety of different products and people are just kind of trying to refine them.
0: Well, and obviously marijuana and, and drugs in general, uh, you know, I've, if- Daughter in high school, and one about to go to high school. It's there if you want. If you sure. want drugs uh, in Canada, that it's easy enough to uh, to access. But we're looking at taking a quantum leap now. You're you're not on the regulatory side; you're on the production side, but. I, I'm wondering what this is going to look like in a year or or two when there is, uh, when it's really, it's legal and it's, and it's going to be universally available. Uh, you know, what it's going to look like in, in terms of people's consumption. Do you have any sense
1: of? Well, I think, look, I think there's certain products like, and this is why we like the edibles as well, is, you know, the fact that it's tested and it's manufactured in a proper Facility that's clean with proper equipment. I think there's a value to that. I think on the flower side of it, you know, and we'll see how the government reacts to shutting down illegal operations, illegal dispensaries, all all, all this sort of stuff. And that's going to, you know, when you ask that question, a lot of it has to do with how's the government going to react to all this? Because will there be, is there a black market? Yes. Will there be a black market as it legalizes? 100%. And the question is, How do they close that gap? Yes. And that's, that's the biggest question where I think
0: they haven't been effective at closing it yet.
1: I I just don't think they've wanted to close it. I think if they wanted to close it, it'd be closed. Like it's not that like there was times where they did raids on the dispensaries and then they open up the next day. If you really wanted to stop, you'd go back and say, okay, you're arrested again. You know, like it's not so I I don't think there's been a massive push because I think they wanted just to see how everything was going to happen. But you know, a, a big part of it too is like in Colorado. You know, there's very small. There's a very small black market in a lot of these U.S. states, and the reason is, if you get caught, just to give you the simplest analogy, somebody once filled the Molson Brewery up with like massive amounts of weed. They got caught and they got a six-month suspended sentence. Yes. If we filled up the Coors Brewery in uh, Denver, or just outside of Denver, and we yeah. got caught, we'd go into jail for twenty years. Right. Yes. So. It depends on the reaction. If you if there's no repercussions, guys are going to roll the dice. If there are, you'll see a lot of people will go out of the marijuana business and do some other whatever other illegal activity you know floats their boat you know to make money if that's what they want to do. So I, I think that's a big component of it is the government's stance and how they enforce. Um, you know, it's also you know you have to be 21 to walk into a dispensary. There's been a whole variety of dispensaries that they shut them down because they didn't check everybody. Like every time I walked in a the dispensary, they checked my ID and like, I wish I looked 21, but I just yes. don't. They're still yes. like, they're going to ask you. Yes. And and if you don't right away, they just took, took away these people's licenses, closed down the stores. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like when you go to the liquor store, how often do they ask you? Yeah. Well, very rarely. Yeah. So the question is, are they going to ask every person? What's yes. like, what's the protocol? Because, you know, I, I remember being in high school, it was, as easy to get a gram of marijuana as it was to get a six pack of beer or easier, you know? And I, I think that's still the truth today. You know, actually it was way easier to get marijuana because yes. <laughs> there's, there's probably somebody in school that just had it that you yes. can get it from. So <clears throat> it's, it's really how they're going to clamp down on it. And I think at a certain point in time, people are going to want to know what they're intaking. Like even with the growing of marijuana, there's, there's marijuana that's pesticides, mold, everything. If you're going to constantly smoke it and, you can get it somewhere where they test or somewhere they don't. And at the beginning, the prices for the, let's just say, the recreational, you know, marijuana is going to be more because they have all this of testing course, and everything. Course, yes. and there's going to be the black market that will try to undercut it, you know. So the question is, if they close down the black market really quick, that will just end. Yes. So we'll see. We'll see. That's, that, that's really, I guess, for some of these uh, marijuana companies, the billion dollar question. You know what i mean
0: Yeah, you know, absolutely and, and on the issue of the of a billion dollar question uh, I, I was reading an interview uh you you did where you would uh, you said that it was an, an industry event in that uh previously there'd be people from like pepsi and imbev and others that would be there although they would be somewhat incognito right that they were kind of just getting a lay of the land and now they're very uh they're very visible and it and there's a clear and evident interest on the part of you know the, the truly huge manufacturers of drinks and 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 food products uh to be part of this industry what can you talk a little bit about what that could potentially mean for for uh for companies high? Like yeah like well, for, well, what happened
1: was i guess constellation brands invested in canopy growth that okay, was the yes. first yeah kind of guys that really stepped up and said we're in the marijuana like we're investing in the marijuana business yeah. A lot of these guys were like circling and you go to the marijuana shows. Now, like there's a huge one in Vegas every October. There were so many big companies there and it's tobacco, pharmaceutical, food companies. Of course. You know? So the impact's going to be is, you know, I guess the the greatest analogy I have for it is the whole microbrewery theory. Why would Coors or, or, you know, Bud or one of these larger companies want to buy a microbrewery. And it's because these people have a drink that's in a certain marketplace that they control the counterculture of this. Yes. And so the counterculture is being developed in all these different places. So, you know, somebody like Coca-Cola or big food company or Nabisco or, can come in and have all the money in the world. It's not just about knocking people out. People actually believe in these products, the counterculture of it all. And a lot of people won't buy it just because the, it sure. would have like a – you know, a Nestle brand on it. There's that whole psychology of it. So I think what's going to happen is they're going to come in, they're going to start investing in just like Corona or sorry, just like Constellation invested in, uh, in canopy. They're going to start investing in all these companies like ourselves. And they don't want to invest in somebody too tiny, but they're going to want somebody who has an international footprint so they can take it, you know, feed in some money and then expand the distribution. And that's all they do with microbreweries. That's all the reason why they buy, vitamin waters and all these different drinks for the amount of money that they did was even though they were paying a lot of money for it in their distribution, they can make five times more money with this product, you know, and that's, what's going to happen. That's, and I think you're, it's between six months and three years where you're going to see, I think in the next six months, you're going to see bigger and bigger companies coming in. And then all of a sudden, as soon as they say that marijuana is federally legal for medical in the U S you're going to see people just on buying sprees. Like all these bigger companies are going to take out all these smaller companies yes. like us. Yes. And, you know, everybody asks, like, do you want to sell out? And I said, listen, you only open a business to sell. There's only one reason. So what I'd like to be the guy acquiring everybody and, and not. That, that's the dream. But you know what? Every time we've had any interest for anyone to finance us or if anybody wants to buy us out, I'll always look at it. If it makes sense for the shareholders, I'm in.
0: You referenced this right at the beginning, but... I just want to return to it a kind of a, a key business decision you made to focus on extraction versus growing. And uh, can you just sort of walk us through that, the thinking behind that, why you didn't want to be in the growing space?
1: I guess it's kind of the difference between, you know, growing apples and making applesauce. Okay. I really believe these secondary products, the the stability of the pricing was there. Okay. The second thing was there was, I would say, let's just say the first $500 million that went into the U.S. marijuana market, I would say probably 80 to 90% of the of that money was just being focused on the growth. So people didn't have the proficiency. It was a lot less capital for us to have to raise to actually build out what we did. Sure. We've raised a very little amount of capital to actually get where we are considering, you know, we could have had a big grow in California that could have cost us as much as doing everything that we've done. So I found we were going to get much more market penetration that way. And there was a uniqueness and a skill set that we had. Where not saying growing is growing, you have to be good at what you do. But I don't really believe the average person knows the difference. Where when you taste a chocolate that tastes awful, like and I've been in many states where I'll like taste like you know five, six different chocolates. I don't want to eat them. It's, yes. it's just they're not yeah. palatable. Yeah, and then when you have somebody like Jim, our CEO, can make unbelievable chocolates. You have a chocolatier compared to some guy who said, okay, I'm going to try to make a chocolate, which yeah. is basically the difference. If I tried to make one, and he tried to make one, and that's sure. the average guy. He's like, you know, and so that's kind of why we focused on it. And um, the other reason is it's—I really believe the next stage of it was to get this to a food level slash pharmaceutical level, and that's what we've really been focusing on. And I wanted—I wanted to put our R and D time into that instead of growing the best marijuana. I can go in these states and go to the best growers, source the product, and they're happy to sell it to me because they know it's a guaranteed sale for them. So I say, I want to buy so much trim every two weeks, just ship it over, you know? So I can work with the best growers. With the growing side, it's, it's become so competitive. I can actually go to the growers and say, I want you to grow this strain with this amount of THC or, you know, low low uh, THC with this CBD level. Go get these strains, grow it for us, we'll take all your trim. And so when we so make, a trim is what is trim. So I'll give you an example. So what happens is when you're extracting, you're taking almost the scraps and okay. everything from the plant. That's not the bud because the buds okay. look pretty. So they sell them in the dispensaries. Sure. So like, you know, maybe a pound of uh bud will go for 1200 bucks. A pound of germ will go for 200 bucks. Ah, so, okay. so there's also economics to how we can make it just with bud. It's just the economics aren't there. And there's In certain places with certain product lines, we will just make it all with button. it will be a more expensive extract and more expensive edible, but we will do it. But the quality level is not much different. There is a quality level difference, but not much. Like, it's nominal.
0: Is the growing uh, component, is that also very localized in that, say, California
1: or Colorado? It's all. Everything's per state. Nothing goes outside of state lines. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, it's all like
0: that. So, in Canada, all of the growing would be indoors. Or most of it?
1: Um, right now, I'd say it, it, the first stage was, I would say, probably 80% of what's being grew, built now is greenhouse. Okay, yeah. So they have greenhouses now that are not like a typical greenhouse. They have supplementary lighting inside, and they also have like shading. Because what you're doing when you're growing is you're trying to trick the plant to grow quicker than it normally would do. So that's yeah. why they have these different grow cycles than the natural sun comes in. Yeah. Um, the question really is, is will Canada allow outdoor growing? Like certain countries, like in the States, a few states allow, like Eastern Washington, you're allowed outdoor growing in a few places. You get a much lower quality product, but there's a lot of different issues too with, you know, bugs and having to use like certain pesticides and things like that to control, to make sure, you know, your crop comes out. So I don't know if we're going to have outdoor growing, but the next stage is definitely come greenhouse because it's cheaper than doing it indoors. And people believe, I would say, if you're doing it right, the quality is very close.
0: David, thank you very much for coming in. This is great. It's been a really informative discussion and I'm glad we had the time to do this.
1: Thank you very much. Anytime.
0: That was David Posner, Chairman of Nutritional High. If you like this show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite listening app. Drop us a review or let us know a disruptive Canadian business leader who you'd like to hear from. I'm Noel Hulsman. You can reach me at nhulsman at oath.com or find me on Twitter at @nghulsman. The show is produced by Stephanie Werner. See you next week.